Okay, let's talk about your next patient. Sure. It's a 58-year-old white female who found a large mass in her left breast in February of this year, and the mammogram showed that she indeed had a large mass in the left breast that was about five centimeters, and it appeared to extend to the chest wall, but there was also a right breast mass that was about two centimeters. The right breast mass was biopsied and was an infiltrating ductal carcinoma grade two that was estrogen receptor positive, progesterone receptor negative, HER2 negative. The left breast biopsy was different. It showed an infiltrating ductal carcinoma that was grade three, negative hormone receptors, and HER2 three plus by IHC. She didn't have any palpable nodes. She was referred to me, and basically on exam, the right breast mass was two centimeters on my exam and seven centimeters on the left, and I didn't think it was fixed. So at that point, I felt that she should be worked up for metastatic disease, which was negative, and we began neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and I used TCH in her. So before we go on, hi, I'm just kind of curious how you would have thought through this situation where you have two very different tumors. Yeah, I think presenting with bilateral breast cancer, a few percent of people do, but usually the biology historically has been pretty similar. And so this is somewhat unusual to see. And I'm trying to recall, I can't recall a similar patient that I've seen like this very quickly in my mind. Does this strategy of trying neoadjuvant therapy really more targeting the HER2-positive tumor? Does that make sense to you, High, Is that something you think you would have done? I think it does. I mean, if you look at it, the driver of this patient's prognosis is her left-sided breast cancer, which is large and has the worst untreated phenotype, which would be hormone receptor negative HER2-positive. And so the right-sided breast cancer, which is smaller and hormone receptor positive, and HER2 negative is likely to respond to neoadjuvant chemotherapy reasonably well. PCRs are much less common, but certainly the vast majority of those patients are going to get tumor shrinkage. So I think that trying neoadjuvant therapy to make this patient a better operable candidate and instituting chemotherapy with anti-HER2 therapy is going to work on the right, and it's going to give her a good chance to downstage her left side and be a better candidate for surgery. So how do you like the fantasy of someday we're going to get something like an oncotype, one that ER-positive HER2-negative tumor right then and there, and maybe think differently if it's high? If it's high or if it's low? Either way. I mean, you're mainly concerned about the HER2-positive tumor, do you think we're going to get to a point where we're going to be doing archetype in a neoadjuvant situation? That is my question. Well, the studies are coming out, but they have the two-week time, and there have been previous studies suggesting that if you have low oncotype scores and you get neoadjuvant chemotherapy, your PCR rate is very low. Uh, I think Luca Gianni has published some of that work. And there are some other studies looking at oncotype to select endocrine therapy in the neoadjuvant setting. I think there was actually a reasonable amount of data at ASCO on this. And so I think there will be a time where we're using Oncotype. Maybe that time is coming very shortly or a similar assay to select what type of neoadjuvant therapy might be best, including neoadjuvant endocrine therapy. So Alan, you started out on neoadjuvant TCH. What happened? 
Well, her first cycle was complicated by just frank hematuria, which she was worked up for infection in stone. It was negative. And we finally attributed it to carboplatin. And she was actually demonstrating a response to therapy in the first cycle. But for subsequent cycles, I substituted cyclophosphamide for the carboplatin. So she got TCH and actually achieved a clinical complete remission both sides within four cycles. And after six cycles, we went ahead and had her go for surgery. And this week, actually, she went to have her bilateral biopsies. And although I have not reviewed the pathology or seen a report, because it's all still in process, I was told this morning that the left-sided, which was the large tumor that was HER2 positive, was a pathologic complete remission. There is still a small focus of carcinoma on the right side, and the nodes are still pending. So, hi, before we continue in terms of this patient and where things might be headed, maybe just take a quick breath and talk a little bit about what we've learned about neoadjuvant therapy of HER2-positive tumors, particularly the kind of landmark studies that were presented at the December San Antonio meeting. Yeah, so I think what we learned with some of the earlier trials is certainly HER2-directed therapy, trastuzumab with chemotherapy, is extremely effective in this setting. And some of the landmark studies, such as the NEO-ALTO trial that was presented recently, was a comparative trial where all patients received chemotherapy, but they were randomly assigned to lapatinib, trastuzumab, or both. And in this trial, the combination of both agents was superior to either the lapatinib and trastuzumab. The other trials seem to suggest that trastuzumab may be a little bit superior to lapatinib, but at least in this trial, both agents resulted in a PCR rate of approximately 50%, which I thought was very impressive, considering the chemotherapy was single-agent paclitaxel in these patients, compared to PCR rates of half that when chemotherapy was used with lapatinib or trastuzumab alone. So this is very exciting. I should put a plug in for Lisa Carey. Lisa's leading an intergroup trial, a neoadjuvant trial, which is very, very similar to this, and which is, I think, very important we complete in the United States. It's very similar to NeoAlto. It's comparing weekly paclitaxel with either trastuzumab alone, lapatinib alone, or the combination. And then at the end of the period, people are getting surgery. And then there's an option to follow up with further chemotherapy with cyclophosphamide and doxorubicin, which is kind of left to the doctor. And Alan and I discussed it in context of this patient. But I think it's important we get another corroborative study, and it may turn out with the NEO-ALTO trial, with the ALTO trial, that at least adding lapatinib to trastuzumab will further improve outcomes for patients. And certainly I hope that we confirm the NEO-ALTO trial. It's very exciting. So, Alan, what are you thinking as you move forward with this lady? Well, I need to review the pathology when it becomes available, but my feeling is that if her lymph nodes are negative and all we're dealing with is a small focus of ER positive on the right, that she will complete her excisional biopsy. She'll have radiotherapy to both sides. 
and that I will give her an astrazole if her nodes are negative and continue to complete the one year of trastuzumab. And hi, what are your thoughts about that plan? And I'd also ask both of you, what would you have been thinking if there was more residual disease from either of the tumors? Well, it's interesting, the right versus the left, but I would, certainly if she had residual disease in the left side, and that's going to be positive lymph nodes, I would tend to go ahead and give her the four cycles of AC chemotherapy, thinking we might be able to do better and obviously continue the trastuzumab. On the right, it's a little bit more problematic, but I suspect I would do the same thing. So to me, if I saw positive nodes on either side, I probably would recommend the AC chemotherapy. This woman, I should add, did have a fair amount of toxicity with her initial chemotherapy as well, which is one concern. When we saw she looked a little burned out, but we talked about the possibility of more chemotherapy, and I think she would be accepting. So I think, considering the information we know today, I would be tempted to add the four cycles of AC now if she had positive nodes. Hi, you were commenting on these European studies of neoadjuvant therapy that were presented in San Antonio, and you mentioned the CLGB. There's also an NSABP trial. Actually, Michael Unch, who presented one of those studies, kind of jokingly said, yeah, the Americans are going to try to confirm what we found. It took us a little bit longer to actually get these studies done. But as you mentioned, one of the things that was reported, particularly by Dr. Unch in his German study, was that when they looked at chemotrastuzumab versus chemolipatinib, as you said, it seemed like the PATCR rate wasn't as high with lipatinib. And it wasn't clear, is that because they had more toxicity? Is it maybe a less effective drug? How do you put that whole story together at this point, high? And it kind of makes me think a little bit about the choice in metastatic disease. You know, do you try to push more on trastuzumab or do you bring in lapatinib earlier? Well, I saw those data. I don't think they completely resolved the issue. And as I recall in the NeoAlto study, the trastuzumab may have been a little bit better numerically, but there was no significant difference compared to lapatinib. So I'm not convinced one agent is to be preferred over another. I think lapatinib, although there may be a very low risk of cardiac toxicity, I'm not sure that's really real or background noise, where certainly with trastuzumab, that is a small but definite risk. I think what's happening, we're seeing a lot of studies comparing lapatinib and trastuzumab, phase two studies, Dr. Blackwell's study at Duke that she led. And I kind of think that lapatinib and trastuzumab is really as a combination, extremely effective anti-HER2-directed therapy. And I know there are discussions among several of the cooperative group breast leaders about looking that combination without chemotherapy in selected patients with HER2-positive breast cancer, perhaps with lower tumor burdens, lower stage, et cetera. So I don't think right now there's a compelling reason to pick one over the other but I'm impressed that the combination may really turn out to be a major advance in anti-HER2-directed therapy. I'm curious, Alan, your own clinical experience, how do you find quality of life and, you know, dealing with the whole issue of side effects with people on lapatinib compared to trastuzumab? Uh, I think there's a big difference. It's very rare that I have any side effects with my trastuzumab patients 
I can't remember the last time I had a patient with an issue. On the other hand, the lapatinib patients are very symptomatic of toxicity. Diarrhea and nausea are just overwhelming. I frequently have to dose reduce or even eliminate the drug, and it's made it very difficult to try to reproduce the anti-tumor effect that is reported in studies. I've been disappointed in my lapatinib experience, but of course I have a small sample size. It's mainly anecdotal in my case. I would have to say the diarrhea related to lapatinib is a major problem, and I think my experience is very few patients can tolerate doses such as 1,500 per meter square. And most end up around 1,000. And there are select patients that I've had that I've lowered the doses in the clinical trials. In fact, one in Dr. Carey's trial. And even at 500, the patient had miserable diarrhea. And then there is an occasional skin toxicity. So that is true. And I think you see that very quickly after starting the patients on therapy. It's not a delayed toxicity at all. You usually see it in the first you know, week or so, you get that phone call about the terrible diarrhea.